Hey everybody and welcome back to the Health Tech Pigeon podcast, bringing you the top health tech news, stories and analysis every week. I'm Jess Farmery, PR lead at Somex, and this is my podcast hosting debut. Um, with me today, I've got Henry and Hugh from the Somex team and the wonderful Ready Connector, startups and VC reporter at Insider. Um, Pigeon fans may remember Riddy made her first cameo appearance on Pigeon back in December during our Christmas special and now she's back for more for a full episode this time. So Riddy, thank you so much for joining us again. Um, for our new listeners, of which I've been informed that we have quite a few, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us what your role at Insider is? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, hello to all the new listeners. I'm a startups and VC reporter at Insider and I cover health tech as part of my beat. So all things digital health, women's health, mental health um, and all the new innovations in the space. So yeah, super excited to talk about it. Fantastic. Well, let's get straight into the stories because we've got lots to talk about this week. first story we're going to be taking a look at is a crunch-based piece from Chris Matinko and he takes rather a sceptical look at the next biggest trend in VC investing. Um, So really you've had a look at this piece. Um, Do you want to give everyone a bit of a summary and your take on the story? Yeah this was a super interesting piece. It basically details this kind of AI bubble that might be forming um, and it compares this boom in AI to the boom in crypto and web3 that we saw last year. Um, And I won't lie, I had a very similar reaction when I first saw this boom at the tail end of 2022. I was like, will the tech bros ever learn? Um, Because we saw the implosion of crypto at the end of last year. Um, But I think it's very interesting because, yes, there's a lot of similarities between this kind of, you know, investor frenzy for AI that we saw in crypto and Web3. But there's also a lot of differences. Um, And I think healthcare and biotech especially are spaces where AI can really come into its own and shine as a really conducive tool for developing technology and I think I've been speaking to quite a few biotech founders recently actually about how they can apply AI especially generative AI in their startups and technology for things such as drug development protein development you know finding antibodies Um, and these use cases show how AI is very kind of broadly applied across a vast range of sectors in comparison to crypto and Web3, which were kind of, you know, maybe siloed just in their own bubble. And the piece also talks about, you know, the future of AI and where it can go. Um, Obviously, this is yet to be seen, but I would argue that AI has been kind of a technology in the works for much longer than crypto or Web3. And because of that, on the research side, we have a bit more of a safeguard for the technology. You know, it's been in the works. It's been applied for things like drug development to healthcare automation. Um, and I read a really cool Wall Street Journal article recently that was related to the crunch-based one, and where it compared crypto and AI. But it said crypto had slightly shady business models on some parts. So there was, you know, an element of multi-level marketing, and you don't necessarily see that with AI. So I would say if I had to compare the two, I'd maybe place my bet on AI, um, but we'll see where the future goes. And I do think the sector needs to be highly regulated. So I'm very pro-cautious optimism for it. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Cautious optimism, not as much skepticism as was expressed in this piece. Um, That Wall Street Journal article sounds interesting. Maybe you could um, share the link with us and we'll share it with listeners. Yeah, definitely. 
Henry Hugh, what's your opinion here? Skeptical or optimistic? I've never been skeptical in my life. So I, there, there was a lot of stuff a couple of years ago about what's called the marginal dollar problem, which is when a company raises, um, if the, particularly if the due diligence hasn't been done particularly well, their cash burn goes up, they start spending significantly more and they start seeing less returns on that because they're spending more to attain more business. And I think something the article could have done is kind of go into that a little bit because every time we see one of these bubbles, lots of money goes in. You have that phrase in in all areas of investing, kind of smart money versus dumb money. Smart money being the sector-specific experts in that area who know exactly what they're investing in, know how to do the due diligence, know how to go through every single little bit of a new AI platform in this instance and make sure that they're spending smartly. And dumb money being, hey, there's a bandwagon. Now, there's less dumb money sloshing around in VC firms right now because there's less money generally sloshing around. However, AI has... um, particularly due to chat GPT recently, has just been such a... LinkedIn is now like 75% just posts about chat GPT. Um, and I'm as guilty as that as anyone. But it's worrying to think that we haven't learned any lessons, or we, or that maybe some VCs haven't learned any lessons from things like FTX and from Web3 and from all of the other bandwagons that we've seen in the last few years. So... What I hope is that lessons have been learned. What I'm worried about is that we're going to see a proliferation, particularly in health tech, of new AI tools that fail to deliver on the promise of the technology because the due diligence hasn't been done properly. Yeah, I completely agree with Henry. Like any rush, it's the worry that you'll see a lot of really bad solutions. I I think it's not even just that we'll see a lot of really bad solutions. It's the worry that we might miss the ones that haven't quite you know, position themselves in the right way that might be using technology in a really clever way that doesn't necessarily speak to investors and that the diligence doesn't pick up on. I hope we're not, I hope that a potential lack of due diligence that comes with any such rush doesn't see, you know, the next truly transformative tool missed at the expense of something that really knows how to capture the hype and run with it. Our next story comes from Finn SMEs, um, and they have covered Dr. Doctor's impressive £10 million raise. And Dr. Doctor provide digital care solutions to increase communication and engagement between patients and clinicians. And their lead investor was YFM Equity Partners. Um, Henry, what does this raise mean for digital care solutions um, and the future of communication and engagement between patients and clinicians? So firstly, the reason I used Finn SME's piece, even though it's shorter than the one in Business Cloud, is that the one in Business Cloud has as its header an incredibly pixelated picture of Tom Witcher, one of the co-founders of of Dr. Doctor, which I just thought was an unfair link to put in there for Tom. Um, What does it mean? Firstly, Dr. Doctor are really well-run companies. So their last raise was 2020. Previous to that, it had been a few years. They've been making revenue in secondary care as an NHS NHS facing organization for a long time. And they're really well loved. I would go so far as to say the same love that Accurex get in primary care, Dr. Doctor seem to get in secondary care. They work with 40 trusts. They've done 70 million NHS appointments. I believe looking at what they've said the raises for, this is to expand their sales and development teams, 
to make great investments in their product and continue to scale. And scale is going to be the most important thing. Where they see most of their traction, I believe, is acute trusts, 132 of those in the country. So they've got just under a third of those. If we can see this going wider, going broader and going faster, then it should create a huge amount of savings for the NHS. And they are really a model in how to run a VC-backed business that has always been revenue generating and has not had to raise constantly, like three years between this and the last raise, I think more between the first raise and that raise. This is a very well-run business and I hope that it will be used in more trusts. What round is this? Did they specify that? So this is their Series B. Um, Last raise was September 2020. That was the A. Seed was November 2016. And pre-seed was all the way back in 2012. So they've gone 11 years and done four rounds. And as I say, it's it's an incredible product. And it's, as I say, it's an incredible product, but it's not always necessarily enough to have an incredible product. We've seen incredible products fail because runway has been an issue, because raising has been an issue, because commercial traction has been an issue. Doctor Doctor have managed to get both an amazing product, the commercial traction and the runway that they've needed throughout their time, um, which is which should be applauded. Yeah, I think anyone who's raising money at the moment should definitely be applauded. Great. So the next story we're coming on to is from Riddy herself. And she has looked at 16 of the hottest pitch decks that founders have used to raise millions from investors. So in 2022, there was $88 billion raised by health tech and biotech companies, which is phenomenal. And yeah, Riddy's looked at 16 of them. And I just want to know, do you have a favorite out of these decks? Is there a secret to a successful deck? And are there any kind of themes um, which really stuck out to you um, across these 16? This was an important piece because um, amid like the funding slump that's been going on, we, we just wanted to highlight some bright spots. And we were hoping that this would be a point of inspiration for a lot of like really hardworking founders in the health tech and biotech space. And I think something that all these decks have in common is to kind of highlight the novelty of their products. So you know, for me personally, I loved compiling them because I think health tech is a sector where there's comparatively more female founders. And we definitely see that in this, you know, kind of showcase as well. So I personally love Vera Health, their deck, um, apart from the fact that it's very aesthetically pleasing. Which yeah, is- I, I agree with you. I looked at that one. And I was like, wow, these guys have got it right. Right. Um, and it's very popular with readers, so they must be enticed. But um Yeah, I think they very clearly and concisely lay their mission across. Um, And I think something that they do really well is to just highlight highlight their USP, which is menopause care um, and the fact that it's such a massive market, but it's so underserved. um, And it helps that they're one of the few players kind of spearheading, you know, treatments for older women who are dealing with menopause. And another deck I really liked was a startup called Dallin Animal Health. I personally adore their mission. They're developing vaccines for honeybees, which I thought was the cutest thing ever. Um, yeah, I That's was incredible. <laughs> I had the same reaction. <laughs> How do they deliver these vaccines? Do they explain that? Do they, I'm imagining someone with like a really tiny <laughs> syringe, like trying to inject a honeybee. I thought that too. So I asked a founder, um, and apparently, it's just it's fed orally to the queen bee, um, and 
once it gets to the queen bee, um, it's kind of delivered to the entire hive because of certain scientific things that I do not know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's very cool. Apparently, you just need to like give it one dose to the queen bee and the entire hive is protected from essentially a pandemic that's killing bees. Um, so yeah, I'm very much for Save the Bees. And yeah, this was a very important mission. And both are female-founded startups, which we love. Um, so, you know, I support women in STEM, despite not being someone in STEM. <laughs> Something that also makes a successful deck is to kind of, what I've heard from investors is to, if you're at that stage, highlight unit economics. Um, especially now, there's a lot more due diligence. And if your startup is generating revenue, highlight that in the deck is the feedback we've been given. But yeah. I've obviously spent too long reading pop culture um, gossip columns because I was wondering for a moment though how feeding Beyonce a vaccine would in any way affect the health of other bees. I want to highlight one deck from this as well. Um, I used to have to pitch against Patchwork uh, in a previous life and I've seen some of their sales decks so I wasn't surprised at how good their what they've called their investment memo was but it is it's an absolutely stonking one and you can tell what type of VC they're going for here. Like it's very, very succinct, very stats heavy, very, very big on the product they've shipped and the impact it's had. I thought that was uh, one of the most impressive decks that I've seen for a while. I actually messaged Jing just to say pretty much exactly that. That's a, a really nicely put together piece of work. Yeah, one thing that really uh, struck me with all of the decks is that the best ones really went in hard with explaining what the problem was. Like they were like, this is the problem. This is the massive market. Um, this is our solution. Just like real, like laid it out. No waffle, no fluff, just to the point. And some like pretty sexy graphics, nice graphs on there as well. That seems to be an important part of building a good pitch deck. Um, invest in graphic designers. That's the takeaway point. Skin and Me have secured over £10 million for their prescription-based approach to skincare. Um, anyone who has a similar algorithm to me on Instagram or TikTok will probably have been bombarded with Skin and Me ads over the past couple of months, and they promise to make your complexion flawless um, with their subscription skincare service. Every month you'll get um, products delivered to your door that have been prescribed or chosen for you by their expert dermatologists. Um, and their mission is to make medical level dermatology advice more accessible and to empower skin confidence um, amongst their users. Um, so it's their Series B. It's been led by Octopus Ventures. Um, and I think this is proof that skincare now should be taken seriously by health tech investors as a massive market. Um, because the company has reported growth of 100% year on year. Um, they've become cash generative in just two years and they only launched in 2020. And 2020 obviously was the time when subscription services boomed and everyone seemed to be getting everything on subscription from like cheese and wine to razors and toilet roll. Um, but Skin and Me just have like really continued to grow since that point. Um, they've said they're going to be using the new funds um, to accelerate growth um, and just continue their innovation and personalised skincare and new marketing channels. So I'm sure that my like bombardment of TikTok ads will just continue um, if they're going to be putting any of that money towards more TikTok ads and influencer marketing. Um, I've been doing a lot of research this week into the growth of digital dermatology platforms like SkinDoc. So yeah, I've been deep into the growth of personalised skincare and the fact that 
consumers are now more conscious of their complexions than ever before, potentially because of the rise of selfies and being on Zoom all the time and having to stare at our own faces for hours and hours every day. And people are kind of fed up of spending a lot of money on off-the-shelf products that may make their skin worse or better, or you have to wait for a couple of months to find out if it actually makes a difference. Um, So people are willing to um, invest in products that have been specifically prescribed for them and that actually work. So yeah, I can only see Skin and Me continuing to grow and become more popular. Has anyone used Skin and Me? Has anyone been like sucked in by their free trials? Didn't know they did a free trial. Do you have to get a prescription to use it? No, you have to just go on their website and answer questions. They'll like give you a bit of a quiz, a skincare quiz. Um, and then based off of that, they will um, kind of send you a pack of products. Um, and then I think every month you can kind of iterate which products work for you and which don't or like go and have answer more questions. That's clever. Until you find the right formulation. But no, I really um, like their mission of like empowering people to have more skin confidence because um, I think it is something which has a big impact on your self-esteem, um, the way like that your skin looks. I think it can be very frustrating if you've tried lots and lots of different products and just seems to make things worse. Um, or you feel like you've got such a unique needs that aren't met by like off-the-shelf products or high-street products. The only product I've tried on my skin is water in 35 years. So maybe this would be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely, people seem to be, very interested now in the ingredients of skin prep products like the amount of articles i see at the instagram the tiktok of people like unpicking all of the different um ingredients and all the different skincare products and saying you need to have this ingredient you need to have that ingredient um don't just be putting up with like the all-in-one face body hair balm (laughs) you've been using for the past 10 years There has been a new AI and digital health resource published for the NHS, um, which identifies knowledge gaps. The paper, it's a paper which identifies knowledge gaps amongst NHS staff and sets out a path ahead for digital enablement in the healthcare workforce. So Henry and Hugh, you both have strong feelings um, on this paper. So please um, share your thoughts. Uh, yeah, I'm really pleased that we've got this on the agenda today because I'd have gone on strike if we couldn't talk about how we uh, upskill the workforce with AI and digital tools. This is a real banger of a policy paper, uh, and no one ever said that before. But <laughs> just finding a way and a framework of what the skills that our healthcare workforce will need to actually use new technologies to really take advantage of them is it's hugely important. And this is the first realistic full framework for doing that covers everything from digital tools, um, AI, uh, how to actually deliver digitally enabled care, legal and ethical regulatory concerns as well as that, which is absolutely fantastic. In a previous life, I used to, uh, I was uh, working on promoting a uh, course that one of uh, my old company was was promoting to try and get, you know, that skill framework up there. And the feedback we kept getting was there's just not the appetite, there's just not the time, and we just don't know um, what we actually do need to know. So really positive news to see this, you know, out in the world. And I think Health Education England really, you know, this is a real great step forward. That said, um, with every positive comes a negative, and it <laughs> does feel slightly like it's putting the cart before the horse. There's, you know, six, fra- six areas of the framework with over 125 capability statements that wow. um, different staff, different members of the workforce will need to understand and be aware of and how this will factor into their training, um, edu- you know, clinical education, staff education and everything like that. 
that's going to be really fun to find out how they're going to make that happen, how they're going to find the time to do that, and whether it's going to be a real priority to put in. I mean, you know, there's the there's a, I think it's, there's a there's an old joke of uh, you know you won't be you won't be replaced by AI. You'll be replaced by the person who's doing your job with AI. Um, and someone pointed this in the the radiology space recently, which was, of course, no one's going to replace anyone. There's a twenty five percent shortage in the workforce anyway. So, whether you're using AI or you're not, it doesn't really matter at the moment. So, how I think for me is the question of how do we get from what we should know to actually teaching people. And like, even I'm going to stick with the radiology space because I know it in the workforce place is that we're actually, you know, it, everyone wants to learn how to use AI. Everyone wants to learn how to use digital tools, but none of the um, education courses actually have it on the curriculum yet. Uh, so it's good that we've got uh, what should be on the curriculum. Um, we just need to see that seep through onto it and actually start teaching people and start training people. How do we make that a priority? That's a question for another day. What does everyone else think? I think, so I, I completely agree with everything you said. I always think the three most terrifying emails to get are, can we have a chat? Hey, it's every, we've got your package. And NHS releases new digital health resource. Um, so I was really pleasantly surprised by this. I think there's an important knowledge gap. I think it's a an area that does need addressing. So I think a good first step, I agree that there is... And this is going to sound really hypocritical because last week I criticised a paper, a DHSC paper for not having enough granularity. I think it is incredibly in-depth. I wrote the SOMEX post for it yesterday and went through the whole thing. Um, but that level, of, that level of detail is important here. So for me, I think a very, very good first step. I just hope that we see it being filtered into the, um, into the education programmes throughout the NHS sooner rather than later. Great. Okay. So I think that's pretty much all of our stories that we're going to talk about today covered off in record time. So really, if you'd like to maybe share with us, like what you're going to be looking at over the next month or what some of your priorities are, some things you're excited about to be working on at the moment, then go ahead and share. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think over the next month, I mentioned previously, but women's health and mental health are two spaces I'm super keen to explore more of um so yeah i'm hoping to kind of hone in on the mental health space especially in europe we've been doing a lot more of that in the past few months and you know consolidation is coming is what we've heard so um it's going to be an exciting space in the coming weeks months year um and women's health as well i mean in europe it's comparatively quieter market compared to the us but again, we've heard that fertility is a space that's, you know, very ripe for MA at the moment. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and yeah, I'll also jump on the AI bandwagon and keep track of that. So open to any any cool ideas on that end. Yeah, I've been to two women's health events this week, um, so I can definitely attest that there's a lot of really exciting things going on in that space. Um, I'm feeling very inspired about um, the progress being made in women's health and some very cool startups um, with big goals. So thanks a lot, everybody. Uh, That was Health Tech Pigeon um, and our analysis of this week's Health Tech News. Um, join us next week when we'll be back with another great guest and check out all the articles we've talked about and some of the best jobs and podcasts in health tech at healthtechpigeon.com. Mm-hmm.